Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, I'm Jonathan Moles, and you're listening to FT Startup Stories, a weekly show in which I talk to founders about the joys and challenges of starting a business. Slack co-founder Cal Henderson and his collaborator Stuart Butterfield started out with the aim of building a successful video game, but ended up doing something completely different. Cal came into the FT studio in London to tell me the story. It started about 20 years ago, actually, when um, there was a company out of Canada, Vancouver, making a web-based video game called Game Never Ending. It was a pretty different time then. The web was a lot smaller. It was kind of pre-first dot-com boom or shortly after it. There were a lot less people using the internet. There was no Facebook. There was no Google. It was a very different time. And I saw what this team was doing, and I was really interested in it. And I thought, this is something I'd like to work on. And so I kind of tricked my way into the company. And what were you doing at the time then? I was in London working for EMAP, a now defunct magazine company, building websites for magazines. And how did this evolve? I was really excited to work on this game, but in the kind of post-Worldcom, Enron, global financial collapse, we were a small video game company in Canada with no experience building a product that had never been built before. And it was pretty difficult to raise any kind of money. People thought we were crazy. There was no money in general. And so we were trying to come up with a scheme to make money on the side to fund the development of this game. And so we wanted to take some of the technology that we'd built for the game and uh, repurpose it. And uh, that was how Flickr, Flickr Flickr.com, the photo sharing website, was born. We thought it could be this side business that would make us a little bit of money and fund development of the game that we wanted to build. And Flickr became an enormous phenomenon. Was there a moment you noticed that? It was in the first couple of months after we launched it, really, that we realised we were onto something. And it seems crazy now, but Flickr was the first website in which you could upload a photo and show it to somebody else. So at the time, digital cameras had really just started to take off. Cell phones had cameras for the first time, so people were taking a lot of digital photos. And there was nothing you could do with a digital photo. Basically, you could just have it printed. So you could send your digital photos to Shutterfly or Snapfish and have it printed as a photo or maybe printed on a mug and that was the extent of it and Flickr was the first website where you could show them to somebody else on a web page and I don't know how we really stumbled across it but um, it just suddenly took off and it was this giant social site. You went with something that people started using it for rather than planning this in the first place? Yeah the very first iteration of Flickr actually was pretty different it was a real-time chat with photos in it and that turned out to be a pretty bad idea and didn't work and then within the first month we changed it into web pages where you could show photos and that just took off like crazy and so by mid-2005 we had shut down the game because it became clear that Flickr was a business that was going to be very successful on its own and we needed to concentrate on it and we made the decision to be acquired by Yahoo in Silicon Valley. So you had this successful exit. How do you come up with the next 
great business. A couple of years after the acquisition, what we really wanted to do was go back and build the game that we'd failed to build the first time around. And so the original team, we left Flickr at Yahoo and raised money to start a new company. And we wanted to recapture the spirit of what we were trying to do, but just a few years later. So the internet had moved along by that time, and it was just around the time there was the rise of uh, Zynga with Farmville. Mobile gaming still hadn't become a thing, but uh, web-based games on Facebook were really taking off. We thought, now is the time to go back and make this game that we tried to make. And if you've already succeeded once, does that make it easier? It definitely made it a lot easier. So the first time around, we just couldn't raise any money or get interest for this game. But the second time around, after Flickr, we were able to raise capital on great terms. We were able to recruit people to come and work on this vision that we had. So we really had everything going for us the second time around. Unfortunately, even with everything going for us, it just didn't work out. We spent four years building this game. By the end of that four years, we had a few thousand people who were really strong fans of it, but a few thousand people was not enough to support a business that we'd already invested millions of dollars in building. So maybe proof that money isn't everything. Yeah, I think when we failed the first time, it was very easy to blame our lack of success on the environment. But the second time around, we had all the advantages you could hope for. And it turns out we're just not very good at making video games. So after four years, when we realized that the game we'd built was never going to be successful enough to warrant the investment that we'd made in it, we decided to shut the game down, which was a pretty difficult experience. We had to lay off 40 people, wind the company down. But we still had some investment left over, and we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do next. We knew we wanted to work together on some other kind of product. And then we looked at a whole bunch of different ideas. And one of the things that we realized was the way in which we'd been communicating when we were building the game. We built this system for our game studio to communicate with our programmers, to communicate with our designers and illustrators. And we realized that we wouldn't want to work together again without a system like that. So we turned it into a product. And that product became Slack. Do you think something had happened where you'd, you'd realize this is the way to build good businesses, find stuff that I'd like to use? Maybe. I'm not sure it was as conscious as that. I'm not sure that we realized that we were really onto a great idea. But I think that where we'd been successful with Flickr and now with Slack was in building something which solved a problem that we had, which was a product that we wanted to use and that we found fun. I don't know whether that's coming from the gaming background or it's just that's how you design consumer products. And Slack has become a big thing. Yeah, it's definitely outperformed our wildest dreams in terms of where it could go. When we first built it, we thought it is useful for a team like us. Maybe it would be useful for other teams doing things like we were. I think we didn't really envision that it could become as broadly applicable as it has been. It's kind of hard to pull out one moment. It's been a very steady progression from just us using it to a few of our friends in the Bay Area to kind of growing and growing. It's been pretty steady. And so it's just kind of taken us slowly by surprise, the success. Do you think that's something about being based in San Francisco, in the Valley? I think probably yes. The kind of relentless optimism of Silicon Valley is that until a company completely fails, you always believe it's going to succeed. Otherwise, why wouldn't you be doing it? So the assumption is, however well you're doing, that it's going great. And I think that's the kind of attitude towards startups in the Bay Area that makes startups successful. How does that feel for you as a Brit? In America. <laughs> it is definitely different to the British mindset. I found it very weird at first when I moved to America. It is both the kind of optimism and the appetite for risk and the celebration of failure that makes Silicon Valley work in a way that other places just don't feel the same. What's been the biggest challenge about Slack? 
The biggest challenge has been continuing to scale the company up to meet the demand of the product. After we wound the game down, we were eight people. We're now up to more than 800. And so that scaling of 100 times over the course of four years is just fraught with many different problems. I think there are definitely a lot of advantages from having had success in the past. It definitely makes hiring and fundraising a lot easier. It was relatively easy for us to raise money for the second game we built, Glitch, even though that ultimately wasn't successful and maybe it wasn't even a good idea. But having that track record makes that a lot easier. And that definitely applies to hiring as well. It's much easier to convince people to come work for your crazy-sounding company when you've had success in the past. And right in the early stages of the company, every hire that you make is going to make a really huge difference to have a really big impact on the culture of your company and, you know, and the success of it in the end. And being able to have that reputation to hire against, but also to have grown a network as well so that you can hire people that you've worked with before and you know how you'll work with them is mm. key. Are there many people who followed you through the different companies? Yeah, there are a lot of people who were at Flickr at one time or another who now work on Slack or who worked on Glitch and then we were able to hire back at Slack as well. And I think that's definitely been key to our success early on is that we were able to hire a team that we knew we'd be able to work with that we could hit the ground running with. Tech people and the good tech people don't come cheap. In areas like San Francisco, there's a constraint due to the success of all the companies there. I think... Early on, in the early stages of the company, you're going to be paying people a lot less than the Googles or the Facebooks of the world, and you're doing it on the promise that this is going to be something huge. And so you really have to sell your vision of what the company could be and what the product could be to be able to get those people. Where are you at the moment in terms of numbers, and what are the next challenges for you? We have about 5 million daily active users using the product right now. About half of those are in North America. The next biggest country after that is the UK, so this is a big market for us. Some of the next things for us in terms of scale are going to be internationalization. So right now the product's only available in English, and shortly it will be available in other languages. should open up a lot of markets for us. But also we're shifting to focus on larger and larger customers, so companies of tens or hundreds of thousands of employees and the kind of unique communication challenges that they have. I think the UK and the rest of Europe is going to be very important for us in the next couple of years, growing our base over here, and with Fortune 100, FTSE 100 size of companies as well. Have you any tips for people on fundraising? Having had past success is definitely very helpful with fundraising, but it's hard to separate that from anything else once we'd had some success. Looking forward, you had that great success with Flickr. How did that experience shape you and, and where you want to take Slack to? I think what we learned from Flickr was that if you want to retain control of your product and build against your dream, then you need to maintain control of that. At the time that we chose to be acquired, we were trying to choose between fundraising to continue the business ourselves and taking an acquisition. And we don't know how it would have worked out if we weren't acquired. Flickr could have disappeared within the year. Something else could have come along at the same time. So maybe we made the right decision, maybe we made the wrong decision. That's kind of hard to tell at this point. But I think that it has definitely motivated us to keep Slack independent. How do you think you're going to be able to grow and maintain that control? I think we're just going to continue to grow the business as we are. We're not interested in acquisition. And so as a fairly straightforward business that charges money for its services, we can continue to grow on that basis. I mean, we're already a company that's raised a lot of venture capital. And that's something that we could continue to do at a time when terms are good for raising capital in the market right now. But we're just continuing to build the business and grow and scale it. And I suppose one of the issues of raising venture funding is there is control given to those backing you. 
I think the bigger concern there is that every time you raise capital and increase your valuation, that is a valuation that you have to grow into. You'll have to eventually have revenues or profits to match that valuation. And so it's raising the expectations every time you raise capital. You're able to see life from both sides of the Atlantic. Viewed from here in London, Silicon Valley is a place where small businesses grow to enormous multinational companies and Here in the UK and elsewhere in Europe, there's real struggle often to get companies to scale up. What do you think it is that is different? I think as well as the access to capital and access to the network of employees that you have in Silicon Valley, I think it's the appetite for risk because you don't get to a very large scale by worrying about reaching profitability at a very small scale or kind of not taking the kind of risks that will mean you'll never be a successful small business, you will only be a successful large business. Like early investment and rapid growth that's needed to reach that kind of great scale. Now, some companies start small and grow slowly for a very long time, but that's not the Silicon Valley model. That is like grow very fast and either be hugely successful or more likely just fail completely. And that kind of appetite for risk and relentless optimism is, I think, what makes some of these hugely successful businesses. And there is definitely a mindset that you have to adopt to be successful there. You have to buy into this risk-taking and optimism, which is obviously very different from the British way of viewing things. And I think it took me a little while to kind of get on board with this. But I think it is definitely an outlook that is hugely helpful when trying to build businesses like these. It's definitely hugely shaped by the environment in which you're in when everybody around you is also has this kind of this optimism and this spirit of just trying things and of course everyone will be successful then it's a lot easier to do that i asked bill ollett of the mit sloan school of management to comment on cal's story and on why many people see an early experience of failure as a good thing If failure is such a great thing, the New York Mets would be the greatest baseball team of all time, and I can assure you that's not the case. The question is, what do you learn when these things happen? And failure is a better instructor than success, usually, but you have to be willing to figure out what the lessons are to be learned here. And the story of Cal Henderson here is very similar to that of many other entrepreneurs, especially ones that are very successful their first go-out. This could be the story of Steve Jobs, how he succeeded with the Apple IIe, and then he got all excited and thought he was invincible, and the Apple Lisa didn't succeed. And then finally the Mac wasn't succeeding until they you know, figured out what the deal was. And often these types of things where someone succeeds early on are more dangerous than ones where people kind of are humbled. Flickr was successful, but they didn't really learn the lesson because then they did glitch. (laughs) But the good news is they had a bunch of money, and the more times you play the game, the more times you realize what the first principles are of entrepreneurship. Does this say, though, that it also helps to have a lot of money? Well, I think what happened with them is they had access to the money as well as having the money. But a lot of times money can be adverse. If you get too much money too quickly you don't build up the proper muscle. So a lot of the best companies, you know, scalable companies, were actually built in down cycles. And people couldn't raise money, so they had to be more creative. And in fact, when you look at this, Cal was successful because they couldn't raise money the first time, and so they had to come up with creative ways to fund themselves. And that's when they actually developed Flickr. It wasn't because of the computer games. 
Often when you have the money, it stifles your creativity. But once you have the idea and you have good what's called product market fit to scale it, now that's when you need the money. So I think the question is when is it helpful and when is it harmful? And it actually can be harmful up front because you've got to overcome this mentality that all of us have that we know what's best. We're going to push out to these people what they really need. But you have to build the company from the customer back. Now, that doesn't mean they design the product. There's a famous line you know, from Henry Ford and Steve Jobs, don't ask the customers what they want. If you ask the people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse and buggy because they couldn't visualize a car. And that's true. But you have to understand what the customer's problem is and then walk in their shoes doing what's called primary market research and then build the product for that, not kind of in an abstract way sitting there push out what you think is best for them. Entrepreneurship is a craft where there are first principles, things that you do that increase your odds of being successful. You have to know these first principles. You have to work through them in kind of an apprenticeship mode. And you see that with Cal Henderson. The more he does it, the more he learns. He's moving from an apprentice to more of a master as the story goes along, but not without some hard knocks. I asked Cal what he thought was the most important ingredient of his entrepreneurial success. It's very hard because if I'd done anything differently, maybe it wouldn't have been successful or maybe I would have been more successful. It's kind of impossible to say. But I think the thing that's just been most beneficial is doing things I really enjoy doing. It's solving problems that I have and are real and having a great passion about the work that I do. There's a kind of cliche that everybody in Silicon Valley is trying to change the world, whether that's by like making a juice machine or some kind of app for people. But I think you have to really believe that you're changing the world in some small way to kind of have that grand vision. Is that harder when you're creating a productivity tool rather than <laughs> a, a fun game? Yeah, and it's definitely not solving world hunger or something like that. But the idea that there are so many tens or hundreds of thousands of people who sit at a computer every day and get work done, that if you make all of those people's lives a little bit better, if you make working a little bit better, then it's actually influencing a lot of people's lives in a positive way. I think the fact that we use Slack to build Slack is definitely hugely helpful because it means we have a big appreciation for what, you know, exactly what the product does for teams. And that's definitely been the case as our company has grown and we do all of our work through Slack in different offices around the world that we couldn't have built Slack without Slack now. Next week, we talk to a French entrepreneur whose company was among the first European software companies to list on the Nasdaq index in New York. But this turned out to be something of a mixed blessing. In the meantime, if you'd like to catch up on previous episodes, you can visit our special page, ft.com slash startup. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. 
Shopify.com slash work.